Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, are you okay? <laughs> I'm in lockdown, sir. I am self-isolating, and to be honest with you, I don't mind it. It comes quite naturally to me to self-isolate, so it doesn't feel like a great change from the norm, but things are very much not not normal at the moment, are they, across our country and sort of wider? It's a very strange time, I'll be honest. We're not going to do a whole show about about coronavirus, but, you know, we do a film podcast and every day just wakes up. It feels like we're living in a film at this point. (laughs) Like, it's very, very bizarre. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, I re-watched today uh, A Quiet Place with the opening sequence in a a sort of um, completely... uh, empty supermarket walking up and down the the aisles of the supermarket and all the products have gone and I thought this looks familiar because it looks like the supermarket that I was in earlier on today where people are buying up all the supplies they could possibly think that they need but yeah it's a weird time to be alive man but we're going to forge ahead we're going to talk movies and you know we're going to also touch on I guess a little bit of how COVID-19 is having an impact on society as it pertains to the film world at least uh, because that's I guess the only area where we have even passing expertise uh, to to speak on these matters but uh, I should lay out the show for today so we've got two features today we've had a few double headers recently and today we're featuring Onward the new film from Disney Pixar as as well as Fancy Island from your boy uh, Bloomhouse what's his first name Paul? Jason Bloomhouse. Jason Bloomhouse. Uber producer Jason Bloomhouse. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So we'll get to those in due course. We'll also have time at the end of the show for the credits section. We'll give credits to whatever we like, really, something we think that you should check out. But before our features, we have a section called Coming Attractions. We'll preview films coming out over this current weekend. Uh, the number of films being distributed cinematically is going to dwindle, I think. More on that in due course. We might have to, we might have to come up with a pl- new plan for what we're covering on the show, but hey-ho. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, And before all of that, we have Popcorn Movies, where we'll talk about the films that we've been watching over the last seven days. But first of all, we always start in the foyer. That's the place where we go to chat film news. Paul, there's only really one headline, isn't there, wherever you look at the moment, and that is coronavirus ravages world. Um, In so much as we can relate this to films, because that's what we do with the show... The big news seems to be major uh, delays with some tentpole releases, particularly we've heard just in the last sort of 48 hours or so, the push back, pushing back of the ninth Fast and Furious movie by an entire year to summer 2021, I believe, or maybe spring 2021. Uh, and also Mulan, which was due to be released very shortly, in the next couple of weeks, I think, has also been delayed without a new release date. This is to add to what we discussed last week, which is Bond 25, No Time to Die, has also been delayed to later in the year. Um, in addition, A Quiet Place 2, we've just heard, has been pushed as well. And there are more we could add to the list. I mean, thoughts here, Paul. Where does this end? I mean, I guess there's no way to tell. No, I, I guess I guess it ends when coronavirus ends. I mean, it will be interesting to see if any of the stuff coming later in the year does get pushed. But a quiet place. I mean, all of these movies were coming quite soon. I think Quiet Place Two, probably the soonest, which was due to land next week, actually. 
Um, so, yeah, where this ends, I don't know. One I feel particularly sorry for is X-Men New Mutants in all of this, because that's been pushed back by a number of years already. So whether that film ever appears now will be interesting. But, I mean, I guess I understand why they're doing it. I guess a packed cinema probably isn't the best place uh, to go to avoid coronavirus. Um, whether the studios are doing it out of the kindness of their heart for us or whether they're desperately concerned about box office takings um, is perhaps another matter, though. Um, and yeah, I guess what what would be interesting is is if any of these films sort of lose momentum, um, and you know whether they whether they hit as big as they were anticipated to if if they've been pushed back. So yeah, it's definitely sort of uncharted territory here, and I still it'd be interesting to see whether any of these end up on streaming services or not. So that would be that would be what I think is is what to watch is what the streaming services come back with because I think if anyone stands to profit out of this, it would be at home streaming services for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds weird, I guess, to talk about winners in a situation like this. And, you know, we put that in heavy inverted commas. But of course, as it pertains to film distributions, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's got to be that streaming services are going to be boosted because you almost have politicians coming out and saying things like stay at home and watch Netflix uh, when they're presumably not being actually paid by that streaming platform. Others are, of course, available. Uh, And with the government seemingly on the brink of um, putting in place a ban on mass gatherings over 100 people, that could be imminent. And that's going to lock out the possibility of larger cinema screenings anyway. I know some distributors or distributors, I should say, some um, cinema outlets are already talking about, if not implementing plans to reduce the capacity in particular screenings to stay below a threshold like that. So this is having a, a palpable impact. Well, I know there's a cinema chain in Ireland. I forget the name of it now. They've introduced like a, a seat apart rule. So even diagonal, so next to each other and diagonal, so adjacent and a di- diagonally, you have to leave one seat apart when you book now. So it leaves that kind of requisite, I think, what, two metre gap. I think don't take that as medical facts like two meter gap where you can avoid catching it from people so that's the only kind of proactivity I've seen of any cinema chains at the moment but I mean I guess they'll have to do something either that or they'll if the if the new releases don't start coming then they're gonna have to close in the short term I would imagine because if there's no films for you know they need you know it's all well and good showing the more independent spirited films that they still release but as we know they don't put bums on seats so i think it's you know and it's not to say that cinema is the only industry that's going to be hit hard by this but um i think the you know the certainly the theaters and the the big the big multiplexes any of the cinemas are going to be hit pretty hard by this in all honesty yeah and i mean we yeah we talk about restrictions on where people can sit i don't think they're even going to be that relevant when it comes down to it people aren't going to go to the cinema you know people no. are going to be more concerned about staying home isolating and not getting sick uh, more so than they are coming out in force to support their favorite um, you know franchise or bloodshot for example yeah yeah <laughs> even if you're a diehard vin diesel guy or girl uh, maybe you could pass on that one when it comes to your own health and that of your family and friends um, so yeah this thing's going to run and run and we have no obviously f- uh, final or conclusive verdict here because we just don't know how long coronavirus is going to be uh, a, a situation that, that is current and that we're dealing with right now so all we can do i guess is uh, wait and see uh, bring back the topic where relevant on the show obviously we're not going to dwell on it as we've said because we don't have a great deal to add certainly nothing medical in terms of advice and we wouldn't ever claim to having that, no, having that kind of knowledge not, no. but uh, yeah massive impact already and it seems like we're going to see a focus on streaming releases and it'll be interesting to see how those two things connect together and whether there are in fact distributors who decide to forego the cinematic release 
and transition over to a streaming release, at least in the short to medium term. And that remains to be seen. You know, it's a financial risk for sure um, and certainly doesn't guarantee the same returns as a cinematic release might. So, yeah, watch this space, I suppose, um, and more on this in due course. But for now, we'll duck out of the foyer and we'll come back in just a moment with a section of the show that we call Popcorn Movies right after this. So, yeah, the Popcorn Movies is the bit of the show where we talk about films, anything old or new that we've watched in the last seven days. Um, Pete, do you want to kick us off this week? No, I think you should. I think you've got more this week okay. from the sounds of things. Fine, I will jump in then. Uh, so, yeah, I've been um, to the cinema a fair amount this week, despite what we've just talked about, maybe against my better judgment. Uh, so it's a few new releases from me this week, and there's a short film I wanted to talk about this week as well, so that's quite exciting. Um, so yeah, the first one I wanted to talk about was the true true history of the Kelly Gang, uh, which we definitely featured on Coming Attractions, I think, last week, um, directed by Justin Kurzel, who is a director that, in my experience, has mixed mixed quality of output, but I quite liked his take on Macbeth, although I, uh, from my understanding, Assassin's Creed is dreadful. So um, yeah, it's an interesting director, one that I don't always like, but I think the the big draw for us on this one, Pete, was that George Mackay was in this, or is in this film, um, playing Ned Kelly, um, and he is undoubtedly the highlight of this. He is brilliant here. That if, if you if you had any doubt that this man is going to be a big, big star, then is put to bed by this uh, and 1917. So it's nice to see him in something sort of less crowd-pleasing, um, certainly less commercial um, than 1917. That's not to say 1917 was bad for it, but yeah, it's a different role for him. He's quite scary, scary in this in places. He's a terrifying motherfucker, in all honesty. Um, yeah, it's a dark, brutal film. It's not easy to watch, um, but it's quite effective at what it does, to be fair. It kind of, in the terms of sort of telling the story about the Australian outlaw gang, the Kelly gang, it kind of feels, in a way, in some ways, almost like a companion piece to The Nightingale, in terms of sort of how people are treated by the English in in Australia, essentially. So it covers those kind of things. There's some really great set pieces. There's some really, really, really kind of creepy and weird, effective sort of strobe set pieces. So flashing light warnings for sure on this one. Yeah, it's. It don't, I don't think it all works. I think sometimes it is possibly a bit too bleak for its own good. It's not a film you can necessarily enjoy. It's more a film that you kind of sort of you you endure. Um, but it's yeah, it's just it was a solid solid piece of work, and I would rec. Yeah, I'd say check it out. Nice. Um, first for me this week, Paul, is a movie called Richard Jewell. Have you caught up with Richard Jewell yet? I haven't caught up with Richard Jewell. It just seemed to appear at the cinema and then just disappeared. Uh, so, yeah, appeared to disappear, yeah, I guess. So, th- th- um, this is the latest yeah. from Clint Eastwood, who I believe is now 83 years of age, 85, something in there, in his 80s, getting up there. Um, of course, a legend of the screen, both in front of and behind the camera. And uh, the last movie, to my knowledge, that he released was The Mule just a couple of years ago. Uh, is that right, Paul? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. I can't think of Yeah, which, which I thought so. was fine. And I, I think we had a discussion a few weeks ago about this topic, uh, sort of later Clint Eastwood stuff. I think maybe when previewing Richard Jewell, in fact. And um, yeah, my take is basically just that, that latter day. Um, Eastwood stuff is is fine and when it's fine for me that's good enough he's obviously an accomplished filmmaker he's more than capable of producing something worthwhile and um, I have my fingers crossed for Richard Jewell and it's a weird one man because we've got this story of an American security guard at the 96 Olympics who foils a well I say foils but partially um 
foils, or at least is heroic in the face of a terrorist attack in the Olympic Park or sort of a surrounding Olympic Park where a big concert event is taking place in Atlanta in 1996. Uh, this guy is played by Paul Walter Hauser, who was of course so good in um, Black Klansman, uh, also in I, Tonya. I know him from Kingdom. It's the first time I encountered him, the, the TV show about MMA fighters, which is worth a, worth a look. Um, and here, yeah, he plays this sort of frustrated law enforcer he's wanted to be in the police force all his life and he's kind of knocked about between different jobs and people have always looked at him a little bit askance like maybe there's something a bit off about this guy maybe he's too into being the authority figure maybe he just lacks the skills and he certainly lacks the uh, physicality maybe let's say of who you might mm. expect to be yeah. a, a man of the law after this event he's launched into the public eye as a hero and it's at that point that suspicions arise that he may in fact have had something to do with the planting of multiple pipe bombs in that park on that day and perhaps he just wanted to make himself a sort of manufactured hero uh, alongside Paul Walter Hauser we have a pretty strong as you would expect performance from Sam Rockwell as a guy that the uh, central character meets along the way who becomes something of a a true believer in him as an individual who can be trusted and who should be cleared. Uh, his name should be cleared in the light of all these accusations. But the weird thing that I mentioned going in on Richard Jewell is that what starts as a fairly tense, um, sort of tightly wound thriller leading up to this climactic event which is about a third of the way into the movie, then just sort of loses its momentum gradually and sort of steadily throughout the rest of the running time. And it reminded me that, of course, I don't know if it was before or after The Mule, but um, Clint Eastwood made that movie about the real events that happened on the Eurostar train where those guys uh, foiled a terrorist attack. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've forgotten like, what that film's called now, but where he used yeah, the real like guys, the didn't he? Yeah, three... 17 to Paris or something along those lines it's the time yeah. of the train anyway and it was really weird yeah we, we reviewed it on the show they used the the amateurs the the real guys involved in that case and it's in a similar way he used sort of this disjointed chronology where we had the event happen and then we had lots of just like fucking about on holiday and sort of lost momentum later in the movie and with this too I mean Paul Waterhouse is very good Sam Rockwell is very good but I've not seen a movie in a long time that's lost its momentum and sort of had not so much its wheels fall off as just everything sort of grind to a conclusion. It was... That sounds like a shame. It sounds it's like very it's, odd, yeah. man. I thought it looked it's, quite it's good. It's structurally very problematic, I think, because it, yeah, it just leaves you feeling like you've watched something a lot worse than you probably have because it really goes out with a whimper rather than a bang, um, forgive the accidental pun. But yeah, that one's Richard Jewell. Strange. Uh, a couple of strong performances, as I say. I like Paul Walter Hauser. I'll look out for him in whatever he's doing next. But yeah, d d disappointment, really. No, that's a shame. I, t I will check it out. I'm still, I'm still intrigued to see it because I, th yeah, I thought it looked decent from the trailer. So yeah, I will let, let you know what I think. Um, the next one for me is a film, and talking of strange, um, this is a strange film, and in some parts mostly in a good way, in fairness. This is a film called Little Joe. Um, this is directed by someone called Jessica Hausner, 
who is not a director I'm familiar with. I think fairly new director, in fairness. Um, this is so Alice, played by Emily Beecham, who picked up the Best Actress Award in Cannes last year for this film. This is kind of how it jumps onto my radar a little bit. Um, so Alice is a single mother, is dedicated, a dedicated senior plant breeder at a corporation engaged in developing a new species. Against company policy, she takes a she takes a plant home as a gift for a teenage son and names it after him. So that she names this plant Little Joe. They're basically trying to engineer a plant to sort of create happiness every time people breathe it in. Um, but all is not what it seems, perhaps all is not what it seems with the plant, and there is potential that the plant could have, the, the plant could have developed a mind of its own and may have malicious intentions. So I won't spoil any more than that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool premise. There's a very eerie feel to the whole film, and I kind of like the score. Uh, that works quite well. Uh, what I will say, though, is I think, um, and we've got Ben Wisher on supporting duties here, is always very watchable. Sorry, I meant to add that earlier. Um, yeah, for the most part, I like this. It feels kind of Black Mirror-esque. I know it's almost almost lazy to say that now, that something remotely sci-fi and dystopian feels a bit Black Mirror-esque, but it, it certainly does. It feels like the, this could have been an episode of Black Mirror. And I think that's where like it kind of falls down for me a little bit. It's an hour and 45. I think it, it could have done with being considerably shorter, to be honest. I think there's there's parts where the film drags a little bit in places. That being said, as I said, there, there is an eerie atmosphere to it, and I, I liked some of what I saw on the screen. It certainly shows potential in the director. I just think this could have done with a slightly more vigorous edit, shall we say. So, um, yeah, just it's it's check it out, but it, yeah, middling, I would say. Little Joe, oh, I, this is okay. Little Joe, yeah. Pre premise is better than the execution, but it certainly shows potential in the director. Nice, uh, lovely segue that I can give you now. Talking of potential in the director, I rewatched this very day before recording the show, A Quiet Place, thinking, of course, uh, that uh, we might have an imminent release of, of the second part of this now uh, series, I guess. Um, that is not going to be the case. It has been delayed. But this, of course, is the feature directorial debut from John Krasinski, uh, he of Jim from The Office fame. Um, and watching this, and I very rarely do this, maybe because I'm a bit of a miser, Paul, I actually slightly increased my score of the movie. And I think on second viewing, or maybe third viewing, in fact, um, I've sort of grown to appreciate A Quiet Place more so than I did on first or maybe second viewing. Um, and I think the reasons for that are these. For this to be such an inexperienced uh, feature director as John Krasinski, the level of control and poise that he manages to exert in the way that he frames key sequences in A Quiet Place and builds atmosphere off this premise that the central family cannot make any sound. If they do, they will be swallowed into the darkness by creepy monster figures that will uh, come and, and pierce them and, and sort of take them away and so forth and lead to a, a sticky end. It's, it's almost... Masterful is too strong of a word, but it's very, very um, reflective of the fact that Krasinski is not only a very well-read man. Um, I know that he did uh, work on the uh, brief interviews with Hideous Men, the David Foster Wallace book. Um, and so, yeah, has got chops when it comes to sort of literary stuff, but then shows that his knowledge and understanding of sort of visual grammar is pretty impeccable, I think. I mean, there are a number of different sequences that are almost perfectly captured, I think, in A Quiet Place. Not least of which is the way in which he uses foreshadowing 
of images that will come up later. I notice uh, on this viewing anyway, the sweep that he does across the staircase that later is gonna be the staircase where the nail comes loose, which then leads to the following sequence in which Blunt's character, of course, stands on said nail and has to uh, hold in a scream uh, within obviously the rules of the game that we're playing here. So yeah, I, I just thought it's, it's an incredibly accomplished piece of work for such an inexperienced director. And even though I think this may well be my third viewing, it's maintained and retained all of the tension that it had the first time round. So it's a really impressive piece of work, man. Well, I, I'll be honest, I need to watch it again. I've only seen it at the cinema and I was, well, I liked it. I didn't love it. I just thought it, for me, it, it the first half was almost the perfect film and then kind of it turned into a bit of a silly monsters running around movie for, for my mm. liking at least. Uh, but I am intrigued to watch it again because a complete, like the first half, the atmosphere in it is absolutely mm. incredible. Um, so I'm very intrigued to give it a second well, watch a to be fair. Um, and I just it's a funny thing it isn't it as well I think maybe that what you said kind of speaks to something that is a, a pitfall for, for many people most people is that when maybe standards are set internally with a, in a movie so high like if you watch the first half of a movie and think oh that was almost perfect if the second half doesn't yeah. quite live up to that you can almost overcompensate and end up thinking oh this wasn't a particularly special movie when I think yeah, yeah, when I, I think that, that, that maybe either, in yeah. this case, yeah, it does it does uh, warrant like revisiting. I think A Quiet Place is really good. Would it have been sort of one of my films of the year that year? Possibly not, but that's not to diminish the fact that I think Krasinski's going to do really good stuff. And I hope that the sequel doesn't mm. tarnish the first movie in any way. I guess that's all I hope for from it once, once it eventually gets a release and who knows when that'll actually be. But that's my second one, A Quiet Place from 2018. What else have you got, Paul? Uh, I've got uh, another fairly new release. I think this came out on the 28th of February, so a, little, a couple of weeks ago in fairness. Uh, this is the latest one from Richard Stanley. Anyone into the cult sort of 90, 80s, 90, it was 1990, I think Hardware came out, uh, will know Richard Stanley is the director of Hardware, which is um, like a fucking batshit cult version of Terminator that kind of picked me up, kicked me in the face, put me down and then stamped on my head when I first watched it. I love hardware, so I was quite excited to watch uh, Richard Stanley's take on HP Lovecraft material, starring none other than everyone's favourite overactor, Nicolas Cage. Um, so if you put those if you put those ingredients together, HP Lovecraft, Richard Stanley and Nicolas Cage, you get Colour Out of Space. Um, we're very much in uh, Nicolas Cage dialed up to 12 territory here, which I very much enjoy watching, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I think I, I think I put in my letterbox review, and I don't normally like doing this, but I, it amused me, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say it out loud. I'm not reading it though, Pete. Uh, uh, this is basically what would happen if John Carpenter directed Dark Waters. Um, so it's just it's bonkers. So basically, the the kind of gist of it is that um, Nicholas Cage's character and his family, his wife played by Jodie Richardson here, who I haven't seen on screen for a while, live on a sort of in a rural. Rural farmstead, I guess, um, and the asteroid an asteroid crashes into their garden, um, and then very, very, very strange shit starts happening. So, I, and by strange shit, I'm I would cite so the such references of John Carpenter's The Thing and some of the practical effects here, like it's bat, it's batshit crazy, uh, but it's also beautifully shot. There's an incredible use of color. Um, the color purple kind of resonates everywhere. There's a very eerie atmosphere to it. As I said, some of the practical effects are absolutely incredible, but it's a fucked up film. <laughs> like It's a very, very fucked up film. Uh, and in the best possible way, is it a fucked up film? So, yeah, I had a great time with this. And uh, to anyone, I mean, to anyone that was, that's seen Hardware or likes 
gory John Carpenter or likes H.P. Lovecraft, this nails it. Um, I had a great time with it. So yeah, definitely check out Colour Out of Space. Is it, a, is it just cinematic <laughs> or is it streaming as well? Uh, no, it's just come up. I, I shipped it in from uh, the US on 4K Blu-ray because I'm like that. But it's um, it's available to rent on Amazon. I think Amazon almost day and dated it with the cinema. So you can rent it on Amazon at the moment from what someone said to oh, me nice. the other day. Um, so yeah, get hold of it. It's, it's well worth checking out because it's bonkers. It's it's kind of kind of in like Mandy levels territory of batshit crazy. So yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, perhaps not quite as crazy, although uh, that's I suppose debatable on at least one front. Uh, my last one for this week is Bombshell. Uh, I've caught up with finally, which is from director Jay Roach. This, of course, telling the story of a group of women who take on Fox News head Roger Ailes, who is departed now maybe not sadly departed um the man at the head of fox news who is frankly uh, deplorable and creepy and horrible in this and played very very well by john lithgow um in this particular production alongside this cast of incredible female talent from charlie's theron nicole kidman margot robbie alison janney uh, kate mckinnon connie Britton, and on and on and on um it's an odd one though man you've seen this already haven't you it is an odd film, yeah. I, I still can't quite make my mind up, even a few weeks yeah, later. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I've definitely made my mind up that it is not a great film. I mean, it fe- it felt to me, and I, I talked with my wife about this, and, and we had slightly different views on it, but it felt to me one of those films that's just made a little bit too soon. And I know that sounds ridiculous, because yes, hammer the hell out of Roger Ailes. I'm not for a second insinuating that you need to give this some kind of blast radius to let things cool down. It just is that when when history is documented in fiction in this way, uh, or this close of proximity, I guess, it can feel a bit like people playing dress up. And I understand that is what mm. acting is at a certain level. But, you know, <laughs> when you see, uh, for example, that I guess the headline one here is, is Charlize Theron, who's playing Megyn Kelly, who is a real life uh, Fox News anchor and has been made up and sort of transformed in the way that Charlie Theron is quite sort of capable of, of being transformed into what at turns looks like a very close uh, doppelganger of Megyn Kelly and then at other times doesn't look particularly similar or that convincing and that's a bit distracting. Uh, then we've got Margot Robbie who plays this character Kyla uh, Pospisil who is, uh, as I understand it, sort of an amalgam of a lot of different people. She's a fictionalised character made yeah. of the stories of many different women who came under the... Um, or, or moved within the radar, I guess, of Roger Ailes, who is, you know, to cut a long story short, effectively a guy who thinks that if you're going to get to the top, you're going to have to get down on your knees, basically, quite literally in his office that has a sort of private entrance. And all kinds of CD conversations took place there, clearly within the Fox News uh, Corporation. So, yes, this important material, yes, this these stories should be told, but just... With a starry cast in a big cinematic production like this, like I say, it just felt to me a bit too soon. And that then made the people involved in it, that they are such big names and very capable, very talented big names, but such big names become a little bit of a distraction, which I think then maybe detracts more than it adds uh, in a certain sense. Um, So I would have liked to have seen a documentary about this material. I would have liked to have seen maybe uh, a thoughtful, considered piece of dramatic work, maybe a little bit down the line, but this just felt a bit too soon. And so I couldn't really get past that. And and that's why it felt kind of middling to me. I mean, does that make sense, Paul? 
I'm kind of with you to be honest, and I, there is, there apparently is a good documentary out there. I've complete the the name of it is completely escaped me now, but I remember reading someone reviewed it on Letterboxd and kind of said similar kind of thing. Just basically watch this documentary instead, and like the way it kind of paints the Murdochs as the saviors, um, really really didn't really sit well with me at the end to be honest. So. Yeah, it was, it was an odd film. I think, yes, bits of it worked, bits of it didn't, but I'm pretty much with you to be yeah. fair. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah, it, I can't I can't not, like, I can't, uh, what's it's the opposite terrible, of record? I'm not warning stretch, people but... against Bombshell by yeah. any stretch, because, you know, you get this star wattage of, of actresses together on screen, and it's worth your time just on that alone. But, yeah, in terms of the material itself... I think there would be better ways to handle it, um, I guess, is, is my takeaway here. Uh, but yeah, John Lithgow and all of the cast are p- pretty good here. Uh, that one is Bombshell from this very year. Uh, Paul, have you got any more? Yeah, just one brief one. A short film that I wanted to talk about because it's directed by a guy who guest hosted on this podcast, a guy called Jeff Harmer. If anyone remembers, he talked about... Uh, what film did he talk about? Legend. He talked about Legend. He runs the Legend Fan Club. He's also a filmmaker. So, um, yeah, a bit of a shout-out to Jeff on this one. And I thought I wanted to talk about his short very, very short briefly. Uh, this is Dead Air. Um, this is a action horror comedy set on a plane traveling to a final gig. Dead Air tells the story of Monster Kitten, an all-female punk rock band who end up on the flight with some nasty little creatures with all hell breaking loose at 30,000 feet. Uh, this is a very, very fun, uh, light horror comedy featuring some incredible practical effects. So I know that Jeff got these puppets made for these little kind of like a, a, kind of like a cross between critters and gremlins i guess um if such a thing exists so yeah there's some incredible physical effects in this the cast um are all great um and the film is a whole heap of fun so if you get a chance to check out dead air um i think it's just about finished its festival circuit so m- will be widely available at some point and we'll share the link when it is so yeah keep an eye out for dead air if you are a fan of short films and you are a fan of horror comedy it's a blast nice so we will take a brief break right now and we'll be back after that break with the section of the show called coming attractions right after this Right, uh, Coming Attractions is the section of the show where we talk about what hopefully is still coming out this week. Um, Pete, what have you got for us? <laughs> so, uh, first one for this week is Bloodshot. This one uh, <laughs> starring your boy, Vin Diesel. Uh, Vin Diesel plays Ray Garrison, a slain soldier who is reanimated with superpowers. It sounds yes. to me like your paint-by-numbers uh, cinematic uh, effort from the late 90s. But here it is. Is in 2020, still coming out of the cinema, not pushed back at time of recording. Uh, this from visual effects man Dave Wilson here as director and uh, written by, amongst others, Jeff Wadlow. Uh, Vin Diesel stars alongside Isa Gonzalez, her of endless beauty fame uh, and uh, <laughs> a, a number of others. Paul, have you got, I don't want to, you know, give this one too short shrift, but like, have you got interest in Bloodshot at all? I'm kind of interested in this, to be honest. I mean, it looks a bit like Upgrade um, in terms of its premise. I don't think it will be as good as Upgrade. Also, um, Jeff Wadlow, 
uh, interestingly enough, the writer of this directed uh, Fantasy Island, one of our feature reviews this week. That's, so that's it, that yeah. should, If that's not a hook enough for you, then I don't know what is. So I am going to see Bloodshot. I'm going to risk coronavirus to go and see Bloodshot. That's all I'm going to throw that out there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say it might not be worth it. But, uh, well, to, to, to add to the plus column, I guess, we've got uh, Toby Kebble that I know we both like a, a lot and Tallulah Riley that has got a couple of shouts on the show in the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah, there, there are reasons, I guess. There are reasons. So, um, yeah take you know go and see this at your own peril quite literally but um bloodshot currently sits on a 43 meta score just to let you know uh the second one for this week calm with horses which is uh, really a front runner for worst title of the year as far as i'm concerned but calm with horses uh, directed by nick Rowland, is the sorry we just talked about a film called bloodshot and you reckon calm with horses is the worst yeah title but you see <laughs> but you see bloodshot's got a sort of vaguely clever double meaning Calm with uh, okay. horses just yeah. means someone who's <laughs> calm with horses, I guess. Uh, it tells the story of Douglas Arm Armstrong, who's become the feared enforcer for the drug-dealing Divas family, whilst also trying to be a good father. Torn between these two families, Arm's loyalties are tested when he's asked to kill for the first time. In leading roles here, we or in a leading role anyway, we have Barry Keehan, who is a guy that we have looked admiringly at in a number of projects previously. Paul, at Calm With Horses, if you can get past the title, the story of a man uh, in a sort of criminal world conflicted between the interests of his family and the interests of his uh, career, if you want to put it that way. Uh, where are you at with this? Uh, I'm quite excited for this. I think it's um, it is a debut from the director, isn't it? Um, as far as I'm aware, um, and early buzz seems to be very, very good. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Probably looking forward to this one more than I'm looking forward to Bloodshot. <laughs> nice. Um, I've got another one which I think you've seen already, Paul. This one is Misbehaviour from a female director called Philippa Lowthorpe, um, starring amongst others uh, Gugu and Batha Raw, who I like a great deal, Kira Knightley, Jesse Buckley. Uh, Keely Hawes uh, and Suki Waterhouse who we know from Bad Batch and elsewhere uh, Paul you've seen it so you can't exactly say how much you're anticipating the movie but how much should I and the listener be anticipating misbehaviour if anyone's listening that is over 50s and faux middle class uh, then you'll have a great time with this uh, everyone else probably not so much um, so, going yeah, in go. I mean you've just <laughs> thrown the gloves on the floor and gone in bare fisted on this one yeah, yeah. no that, I know it's 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 fine like it's, it's there are some there are some good moments here I just wish it wasn't quite as broad as it was and that's to say we'll save that further discussion for another week but yeah cool well uh, one that probably doesn't need loads of discussion uh, is My Spy My Spy from director Peter Siegel but this one is very much a Dave Bautista vehicle Dave Bautista hilariously plays uh, a hardcore CIA operative who finds himself at the mercy of a precocious nine-year-old girl. Can you imagine? Having been sent undercover to surveil her family, uh, hilarity surely will ensue. Uh, Paul, how are you feeling about my well, we spy? Were, we were just saying off air. It just seems like a rite of passage for kind of the the ex wrestlers. They they kind of do some they do some good work here and there. Um, and Dave Bautista's done some great work to be fair. So maybe that's underselling him a little bit. And then it's almost like right, you can't have the keys to Hollywood yet because you've got to do a family comedy before you can have the keys. And then the world is yours. So um, yeah, we, we'll see. I mean, Dave Bautista is probably he is funny. Don't get me wrong. He, he has got he has got comic timing 
but I, I can't say I'm terribly excited for this one, no. <laughs> no, um, the consensus is uh, possibly not a lot of excitement as well. 45 Metascore at the moment. And I think I've mentioned this particular opinion of mine, controversial as it may be, but I don't think Dave Bautista is particularly good. I think Guardians has made people think that Dave Bautista is this okay. sort of bankable, sort of lovable star. He's a bad actor. He's a straight up bad actor. So yeah this will have an audience it's a family film if families are still leaving their houses then some of them might go and watch this movie but i've not seen really anything involving dave bautista but bar... blade runner but he doesn't really speak i guess yeah right yeah right <laughs> roles that demand physicality absolutely go for it when he's got exactly the right writing team working with him like mm. with guardians i think that he can do really good stuff but Everything else is, yeah, I don't know. Um, I've not, I've not been blown away. But anyway, that one is my spy. One that did blow me away that is getting a reissue, albeit a limited reissue, is the 1980 David Lynch movie, The Elephant Man. Paul, obviously you've seen this one. Um, I don't know if we're going to get to see it on reissue because I think it's only going about 25 screens. Can I make a confession? Yeah. Obviously, I have never seen this one, believe it or not. Is that right? Um, I love Lynch. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I just, well, we've talked about this before when people haven't seen films, so I don't want a load of comments on the social media for going, I can't believe you see Elephant Man. Oh. Um, but I is John Merrick himself going to be commenting on you not having seen the <laughs> Elephant Man? That's not what I was getting at at all, but you made, you've made me sound like a horrible person <laughs> now. Uh, that's not what I was getting at at all. I was merely doing my whiny nerd voice. Right. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I haven't got to it, so um, I need to catch up with it, to be fair. I think it's probably the one Lynch film I haven't seen, so yeah, I absolutely need to catch up with it. Yeah, well, well worth it, and whether that be cinematically or probably more likely in these times and with the limited distribution on this thing, probably at home uh, is more probable. Uh, yeah, get to it, and then we can talk about it maybe another time on the show. That wraps up then coming attractions, which means we'll bounce out and then we'll bounce back in, and we'll return with the section of the show that we call Feature Reviews, starting with with a review of Disney Pixar's Onward right after this. So, yeah, as you mentioned before the break there, this is a look at the new release from Disney Pixar. This is Onward. Um, this is directed by Dan Scanlon, who previously directed Inside Out, if I'm not mistaken. Pete, do you want to set this set up the premise of this one for us? Sure thing. Yeah, you're right. Dan Scanlon also here, a co-writer on this project from Disney Pixar. Uh, this one set in a suburban fantasy world where two teenage elf brothers, bear with me, embark on a quest to discover if there is still magic out there. The film opens with a sequence in which we're told that in times of old, the world was full of wonder and gradually over time that wonder has been lost. But then when we jump forward into what is here, the, the kind of a, amalgam of the uh, the modern world, We've also got in the mix fantasy elements. And as was mentioned in my original description, these brothers growing up together are elven folk with ears to match. Uh, and they are going to be launched onto a quest in which, or onward on a quest, to try to reunite themselves with their father who they lost um, sometime in the past. Before we get to our views, though, um, and uh, sort of rundown of who's involved, central players and so forth, let's hear a little clip. Long ago, the world was full of wonder. It was adventurous. There was magic. 
but it wasn't easy to master. So the world found a simpler way to get by. But I hope there's a little magic left in you. said to give you this when you were both over 16. It's a wizard stamp. Dad was a wizard. Your dad was an accountant. This spell brings him back. What? Back like back to life? That's not possible. It is with this. I'm gonna meet Dad. So, yeah, and, uh, well, central players, I guess, is probably where we're jumping off to next. So we've got, as the two Elven brothers, we've got Chris Pratt as the older of the two brothers, and then Tom Holland uh, as the younger of the two brothers here. So, um, yeah, a, a pairing that I think, for me, worked remarkably well. Uh, one of the highlights of the um, sort of Infinity War films was that was their, was their kind of, they're bouncing off each other as Star-Lord and Spider-Man, respectively. So um, I was quite anticipating this this kind of, this comedic pairing, Pete. I don't know about you, where do you stand on these guys? Yeah, well, this performance, at least from Chris Pratt, to me felt like um, sort of Chris Pratt by way of uh, Jack Black, uh, in, in terms of playing a character. Yeah, it, it almost felt like that this character had been written for Jack Black and he yeah. dropped out at the last minute and Chris Pratt came in. Uh, perhaps, because, I mean, the character looks more like Jack Black than it does Chris Pratt. Yeah, so. and acts that way yeah. and has the physicality <laughs> yeah. of Jack Black and has the sort of interest in, like, classic rock and thrash and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, all of those elements feel very Jack Blackish, and I had to for the, the first few minutes I had to remind myself this isn't Jack Black voicing the character because yeah, of course it's an animation totally not yeah. live action and then the mother of the two boys played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus um, who is much loved from Seinfeld and elsewhere so uh, yeah some some big supporting players as well the manticore in this is sort of a winged lion monster played by Octavia Spencer who's done all sorts of interesting things on screen recently uh, and uh, then we've got yeah Lena Waithe Ali Wong lots of people involved well, yeah. Lena Waithe is the Pixar's first openly gay character, I think, as well. Is that right? Uh, in a, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting point to note there, which has resulted in the film getting banned in certain places. Wow. Sake. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's, that's, that's good to know, actually. It's, it's something I completely passed me by. But uh, yeah, so the basic idea here is that these guys um, have possibly uh, been given the ability to conjure magical spells using a staff that is given to them by their mother which has been passed to them um, from beyond the grave by their late father and they just have to figure out how to harness the power of this staff of this wand of sorts and with that power it seems like they can reanimate their father although and this is spoiling nothing because it's in the trailer they only get so far as uh, reanimating the lower half the legs of their father and they set out on their quest to try and do the rest of the job with the legs of their father in yeah. tow um, an interesting setup uh, kick us into this thing man like where were you at going in I mean it seemed like when we did the preview that maybe you were anticipating this a little bit more than me perhaps is that fair to say uh, yeah I think it's fair to say just I guess the caliber of basically because Inside Out is an incredible piece of work so I think based on that you know anyone that's any anywhere near Inside Out for me you know I was quite anticipating the film I, I still, I'm kind of with you on the fact that I didn't think the trailer looked great on on this one. To be perfectly honest, and it didn't really, it didn't really strike me as kind of an obvious Pixar film. Um, but then, as as you kind of as the as as the film opens up and you get to know like the themes of trying to 
re sort of re reunite with their lost father and that kind of thing. Certainly, the the sort of the themes that are that, that Pixar explores are definitely present and correct here. So, um, I think that the themes are strong. I think um, talking about the, I think probably for me a good place to start is kind of the what works for the film because the, for for me there are things that didn't work on this in 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 a, in a quite a big way. But for me there were things that did. Um, the, you talk about the the father being sort of made a, a pair of legs, for example, and I think that is the, the comedy physical comedy here. I think was one of the film's strengths. Um, there's some really nice sight gags where basically so you have the father's just a set of legs, so they kind of they wrap him up. Um, the rest of him is invisible, so they wrap him up in clothes, and then you've got a number of sight gags with him kind of flopping around unsupported. I felt like a lot of comedy here had a bit of a Weekend at Bernie's vibe to it, which I, you know, I, I'm always a big fan of a Weekend at Bernie's vibe. So, um, yeah, I, I quite like the physical comedy elements um, more so than I did other bits of it. Did you? Where do you stand on this, Pete? Did this? Did this meet expectation? Or my expectations were pretty low. I just want to say, by the way, uh, Dan Scanlon didn't direct Inside Out. Did he no, not? No, uh, that was Pete Doctor. He, oh okay did he write inside uh, out? he was involved in inside out so maybe as a on the writing side yeah, no not as a writer either he's on the creative team of inside what, out oh, so okay. was, i've no idea where i got that from certainly so, uh, correction involved. his last directorial effort uh, was monsters university which sort of seemed oh well that makes that i mean that makes perfect it sense does now. yeah it does man like my expectations going in were, were relatively low based off the fact that i hadn't really heard much buzz about onward and then when i did see little clips in the trailer like you say i wasn't blown away and it didn't to me look like sort of top tier pixar stuff and i think that that by and large was kind of borne out by the film but as you've introduced it i'll stick with the topic which is the things that worked about the film so yeah i enjoyed the central relationship to a reasonable extent i think both voice performances are, are pretty good um i enjoyed some of the um like the love that the chris pratt character has for his sort of almost mystical van that he has uh, done yeah. up and drives everywhere around, uh, drives everywhere in, and kind of uh, has this sort of immense pride and almost romantic love affair with his van. Like, I enjoyed that part of the, the movie. I enjoy, yeah, some of the interrelations between characters. I enjoyed some of the sort of creative decisions, I guess. But, 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 there's a lot of buts for me on this one. I mean, help me out. Keep the positivity going if you can. Is there more to add to the, the plus column on Onward? There is a bit more to add to the plus column. I think, that, like, before we get into the negatives, the finale I thought was great. I think there's some there's some really nice visual effects work. There's, like, there's a mythical, without, I'll try not to spoil it, although we actually... No, I will try not to spoil it. To be fair, yeah, I think there's some really not there's some great effects work in this, as you'd expect from a Pixar film. I think the the, the film looks absolutely incredible, um, and the effects work in the finale. I think the film brings back some of its heart towards the end. There's this, there's a there's a there's another sort of famous mythical creature in the end that I think is done in a really original and and quite awesome looking way, like the. You, do you know the bit I mean at the end, Pete, with the um the kind of finale? Yeah. Whether they fight up against a dragon, but it's a dragon done in in an incredibly incredibly creative and exceptionally Pixar Pixar way, I would say. And I think that that brings some much needed excitement back to it. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I'm with you, Pete. I struggled with a lot of this. I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, so how to encapsulate that? I mean, I've made sort of a few notes here in 
thinking about why Onward didn't, it, I, I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was bad. I, ha I got some enjoyment from it. And like you say, I think it, it no. ended quite strongly. And I think it had quite a sweet message about the thing that you think you're looking for might be right by your side all along or something along those lines without going into sort of too much spoiler territory. But uh, the characters themselves, yes, the performances are good. The characters themselves to me, relatively forgettable. I don't think the character designs are particularly memorable when your bar is set as high as it is with Pixar. When we're talking like DreamWorks movies, it's kind of a different thing. Mm. But with Pixar movies, I, you want these iconic characters that you're going to remember for years. And the first time I sort of set eyes on these central uh, brothers, I just thought, I'm going to forget what they look like in a couple of years' time. It won't be important. Um, so there's that. Uh, I think there are fun moments along the way, but things like chase sequences here, from a Pixar perspective, feel kind of played out. Like, you watch a chase sequence in Onward and you think, well, this isn't a chase sequence in Toy Story, for example. And we've seen quite mm. a lot of even just Toy Story chase sequences in that franchise, let alone the wider Pixar universe. And so it didn't feel to me to be sort of outstanding in any particular area. Like it kind of reminded me, and maybe this is going to sound too harsh, but of, you know when Disney used to put out like cinematic release Disney films, but then they put out those kind of straight to video Disney movies. Yeah, straight to video. They, yeah, like a yeah. sort of lower tier. And they could be entertaining and they could fill up an afternoon when you were a kid, but you knew they weren't the top stuff. And this very much mm. felt like that, the kind of second tier of what Pixar are capable of, albeit wrapped up in the packaging of a Pixar movie, uh, replete with, uh, you know, this interesting, actually, Simpsons kind of silent short at the beginning, which I, I quite enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and flourishes that you expect from the studio, but... Yeah, it just all felt a little bit underwhelming, save for a couple of things like a fairly touching ending. And it felt to me also here like the richness and depth and levels that you expect from the very best Pixar movies were kind of substituted out in favour of just sort of reaching for whatever. Like, oh, here's a zany part and here's a monster character and now there's a chain. Like, just throwing a lot at the wall without a sort of unified yeah, I, vision I, you know I'm with you i think it i think it felt like someone else kind of it felt like someone trying to make a pixar film and never quite managing to do it um I, yeah it, it's it, it's a funny one i think it's, it's hard to put my finger on because i'm with you although i said i said i struggled with some of it maybe that's harsh because i am with you like i didn't dislike the film i've seen i've seen a lot i've seen a lot of, a lot of films that i like less than this but i don't know it just felt at times like we were watching like a run-of-the-mill kind of dreamworks or sony animation studios kind of production which not to knock those guys because you know dreamworks have put out uh, DreamWorks have certainly put out Hazard Dream Dragon series, um, but a lot of what they put out is not to the standard of Pixar, to be fair. And this, I think, and maybe it's maybe it's Pixar's own fault because a lot of what they do is just so good that every time you kind of see a Pixar film, your expectation is that it's going to be inside out, it's going to be Wally, it's going to be even you know even Incredibles two, I think was stronger than was stronger than this. Um, yeah, it just it just felt, yeah, it felt like it felt like a paint by numbers Pixar film where they were trying to tick boxes rather than making something as you say that's that's going to last or have an impact. I think it's and I think it's kind of sad that it, with the exception of the finale, I think I'd pretty much with you. I think I'd forgotten most of what had happened already, to be honest. Yeah. Um, in terms of the film, there's not really much that stands out here, which is which is a crying shame, really, with the talent on offer when and a, when a film that look when a film looks this beautiful, like because the animation's great. So yeah, it's just a just a shame, really. It just seems like a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, and there are things like the um the kind of 
believe in yourself and you can cross the canyon sequence between the two brothers where the younger of the mm. Tom Holland character has to have faith that when he plants his feet onto open air there will be a platform there or a bridge there to take him like those things are, are well conceived they're good ideas they feel kind of though like slightly borrowed ideas as well and I couldn't get away from the feeling that the, this sort of lack of originality that sort of um was a, a sort of continuous thread through the movie because so often when you see a young character pointing some kind of magical wand in a direction you think well harry potter is looming large in the background and mm. and it almost then i guess as someone who tends to overthink movies at the best of times it starts to feel a little bit cynical and you shouldn't get that feeling when you're watching a pixar movie that that they're looking at market forces and perhaps considering what Sells rather than telling the best stories in the best way possible. So I felt a bit disappointed in them, to be honest, Paul. Uh, but yeah. but that is all to say, you know, it's it's fine. Of course it is. I mean, Pixar make good stuff. Even Pixar on a bad day is still a decent movie. But I hope for a lot more from the latest um, output. And I didn't get a lot more. I got something that was sort of average. I thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I just, yeah, I came out of it feeling a little bit cold and I want Pixar films to sort of pick me up, put me down and make, I don't know what I'm, I'm, I don't where change I'm going Change your life. This. I want Pixar films to change my life. Yeah, I want, yeah, I want Pixar films to be memorable. I want Pixar films to stay with me. I want to be able to put on a Pixar film and enjoy it on 10th viewing as much as I enjoyed it on the first viewing. And this film is, will unlike, is unlike, as, as, as much as it's fine, is unlikely to get a second view in the near future, yet alone a 10th viewing. So... Yeah, a, a bit of a disappointment considering the calibre of what Pixar put out. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, from my side, man, like just a, a thing that sprung into my mind as you were saying that about Pixar movies being memorable, the walkout mu uh, music at my wedding was Married Life from Up. Like this is how mm. much people invest in those worlds and those stories and nobody's going to be, you know, uh, soundtracking their wedding <laughs> to stuff from, from onward, uh, you know. I'm off to get, no, I can't see, I'm not, I'm not going to get an onward tattoo anytime soon, I'll probably see one anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought honest. so. I'll tell you what you're definitely going to get is a Bloomhouse tattoo. Uh, after oh, after yes. a little break, we're going to come back <laughs> with uh, news of the latest, or one of the latest, I should say, releases from the Bloomhouse studio. That is Fantasy Island, right after this. So I'd said to you um, off air, I think, during the week that uh, please go and see Fantasy Island because I'm very, very, very excited to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, we'll get to what we thought in a bit. Um, this is a horror directed by Jeff Wadlow, uh, who we mentioned earlier. I think he's probably most famous for Kick-Ass 2, I would say. Um, maybe I'm wrong there. Um, starring uh, Michael Pena, Maggie Q, Lucy Hale... Um, among others um, and basically this is set on a, um, a kind of weird island where people I, you get the impression that people pay a lot of money to go here and Michael Pena's characters will use some mythical powers in the island to grant you your ultimate fantasy um, as to whatever it is and all your dreams can potentially come true um, in this bizarre island I got a little bit of a lost vibe about the island if I'm honest um, but before we get into the, I set one up Pete I did it um, before we get to what we thought let's have a clip <laughs> Here. This weekend, you will be our guests. Here, anything and everything is possible. No service. It's not everything is possible. Good evening. I'm Mr. Rurik. Let me officially welcome you to Fantasy Island. Is it 
how this all works. What if your fantasy involves a person from your life? Holograms, like Tupac. What if it's somebody who died? Tupac. So, what's your fantasy? Revenge on a childhood bully. Your life is about to change. I hope you're ready. So, straight out the gate, this is based on a 1970s TV show that we said in our preview just uh, a week ago, we have not seen. Um, but I think I'm in safe territory when I start this review by saying uh, this. This is a dumb movie. It's a dumb <laughs> movie. But uh, I don't want to be blinded by how dumb this is so that we don't end up actually talking about any of the details of, of what you witness in sort of an hour and a half with... Uh, with the, barely even. No, no, it is more than an hour and a half. Wow. Hour and 50 minutes, hour and 49, this one. But yeah, as you've set up there, Paul, uh, Fantasy Island seems to be a, a mythical, mystical island on which these candidates are thrust and they can suddenly have whatever is their greatest fantasy. And so we divide them up basically in sort of uh, gender normative groups where we've got two female characters played by Lucy Hale and Maggie Q. Uh, Lucy Hale being a young and attractive woman who only, uh, her greatest fantasy, Paul, her greatest fantasy in all of the world <laughs> is to get revenge on the bitch from high school. Then you've got Maggie Q, who's a very refined um, woman who has only one fantasy, Paul, her greatest fantasy, and that is to have a do-over of the time where she said no to a marriage proposal. So relationships and bitchy relationships, that's your women sorted. <laughs> then you've got uh, a sort of jock bro male character whose greatest fantasy is to go to the military. So, yep, check on that one. And then you've got a pair of brothers, uh, hilariously, played yeah, by are, a tall... They are hilarious as well. <laughs> a tall Caucasian man. And his brother, get this, a short Asian guy. Uh, they're brothers by... <laughs> marriage and uh, their greatest fantasy because I guess they can only have one between them is to quote unquote have it all yeah. and of course have it all in a movie like this means arriving at a party a pool party with babes ah but twist Paul just before you thought this was all fitting into a cookie cutter mold in your face sir because the Asian man is a homosexual flip the script uh, <laughs> he gets bronzed hunks instead and so from this point we track these characters living their fantasies and maybe finding out that you should be careful what you wish for where are you at i mean jump in at any time where where, where are your feelings having witnessed whatever this was the best film of 2020 <laughs> is that it's not this film um, yeah, as you say, this is a dumb, dumb, dumb movie. But I, I think it, it's so dumb. Like I, I've, I've, co I've commented before, like, uh, like I don't believe in the term so bad it's good, but I 100% believe in the term so bad it's entertaining. And yeah, uh, just watching this film just to pick holes in it was great. And I remember like the amount of times I looked over at my wife just by going, what's going on? What's happened now? Why has this happened? Whose fantasy is this? Whose fantasy is this now? That doesn't make sense. What's happened here? Where's that from? Why is that person there? What's that? Like, just constant questions. <laughs> constant questions. That, at the end of the day, if you roll... I, 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 it's terrible. Like, it fundamentally is a truly, truly bad film. It doesn't make any sense, as you say. The characters are cliched. The performances aren't a lot to write home about. 
but there's something charming about just how crap and silly the whole thing is. Like. I'll, I'll tell you what's not necessarily the charming <laughs> thing that you're going for is uh, I reckon Michael Pena here, who, as we mentioned in the preview, very much likes a check. I mean, Michael Pena has been very good mm. in things which he cares about, but here it's like he watched the Richard Attenborough performance in Jurassic Park <laughs> and he was like, what if I did that? But when I was like stoned and or clinically depressed, <laughs> Because that's what... The, he's so flat in the movie. It's unreal. He's walking around in, like, white pyjamas, like this kind of semi-mystic guy, but who's just walked into the role from, like, off the street. And he's like, yeah, you get a fantasy, and there's a ring on my finger, and that kind of <laughs> controls it. Don't think too much about it. Can you have a second one? Probably not. I don't reckon. You might be able to. I don't know. I don't really care. I'm going to go back into my office. Uh, really fucking weird, <laughs> yeah. seeing just a guy so blatant phone it in. in yeah um i mean I, I guess on the on the better side of this i have some comments on characters uh the first one will get out of the way because it's not got a lot of depth to it maggie q looks great in this film doesn't she <laughs> the way she's lit terrific but then uh it's like the best lighting in the movie is saved for maggie q uh but then you've got also a michael rooker performance as just like grizzled guy <laughs> with a like weapon I which i enjoyed that, i just get the impression that they probably filmed this on an island where michael rooker lived and he just happened across the production <laughs> yeah they were like hold yeah, this machete like, we'll get him oh shit michael rooker walks around he lives on this island we'll put him in the film <laughs> Yeah, I mean, further than like Rooker and, and how great Maggie Q looks and how much poise she exerts on the screen at all times, uh, we've got, yeah, like Jimmy O. Yang as the, he's a comedian, Jimmy O. Yang, the guy who plays the Asian mm. brother of the two, um, it, it is okay. They go for laughs at times, but they're all a bit like limp it's and quite predictable. Awkward, it's quite awkward, yeah, to I be honest. It, it didn't have me chuckling in the aisles, this one, really, if that was one of the stated goals of the production I mean, It team. had me chuckling in the aisles, but for the wrong reasons. Like, no, I, wasn't, yeah. I wasn't laughing at the bits you were meant to laugh at. Um, I was definitely laughing at just, just how batshit crazy this film is. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, you have Lucy Hale's character who eventually has this confrontation with a hologram, but it's not a hologram, but it's the girl that she was bullied by at school, but then they're a team because maybe girls can work together, but maybe but they still hate each other. But then there's two of the girls she bullied at school, and then, the, the, why, why? <laughs> yeah, and then maybe this woman is the wife of the guy who owns the yeah, island, maybe not, maybe who knows? Yeah, and then, yeah, and then maybe, maybe they've solved the mystery of the island, and then maybe they haven't, and then that, that, that kind of, that like, oh, it's this, and then the, then the kind of film thinks it's being clever by double bluffing you, and then triple yeah. bluffing you, and then like bluffing you for a fourth or fifth time. You're like, I'm exhausted now, and I don't give a fuck what this is about. Yeah, and it kind <laughs> like... of it's one of those man where it also like while you're having fun picking it apart, you also think you're almost like checking off like oh that's that movie yeah. oh that's that movie like you were yeah. saying like oh that idea is from Lost but then we've got a sense of something like Saw where yeah. it's like oh the reason that you're all here is something that you did IRL yeah. you know uh, that has thrust you into this but, but position again, there's this no sense yeah backstory about an event watch it for yourself but there was an event that sort of unites all the people there were a bunch of movies made around the sort of millennium mm. which were all about disparate characters united by yeah. something they'd once done 
run and thrust into a place. We get it. Uh, and then, yeah, you, you, you're just constantly thinking like, this is that and this is that and this is that. And all the while, like, I couldn't help thinking, is this actually a lot cleverer than we give it credit for? <laughs> because what we've got in the setup is you get a fantasy, but it turns out that the fantasy might have a sting in the tail. Be careful what you wish for, right? What you wish for might actually not end up being what you wanted. I mean... Is this basically a didactic Michael Haneke movie? Because, because what the movie is doing is talking to the audience about the fact that what you wanted is like TNA. What you wanted is violence and bloodletting. What you wanted is mystery. You like Lost. You gobbled that stuff up. You like the Saw movies. You like all of those things. Well, if you get everything that you wish for and you put it into a big melting pot then finally you realise you feel really sick and you're watching this movie and maybe you didn't want what you thought you wanted. So yeah, it's a genius, genius piece of meta-narrative. and <laughs> yeah, sort of, uh, yeah, of course it is, yeah. <laughs> much, I mean, you, you look at the meta-score at 22 and you think, you know, who are these morons? This is fantastic work. It's deep, it's deep. Uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, that being said, to be honest, like I said, I won't watch Onward again. I, this, I will probably end up definitely renting this for a second viewing at some point because this is this is the kind of film that I want to get drunk and show people and go guys we've got to have a few beers tonight and watch this because it's absolute nonsense so yeah I mean it's is it a good film no did I ha did I have entertain did I take entertainment from it I was entertained probably not for the reasons the directors are aiming for but I was definitely entertained by this yeah I mean that description it sort of reminds me do you remember the the movie um adaptation of doom mm. with with Dwayne Johnson yeah where it's kind of it's awful but you kind of can watch it because you want to predict who's going to get picked off first in which order in which method like it's got that kind of movie as a drinking game kind yeah. of feel to it hasn't it Fantasy Island and that's every time I it think doesn't it, make sense take a shot <laughs> yeah that's that's about the best that like you can do with it I mean um it's destined yeah. it's destined for cult status there's, there's no doubt in my mind it's definitely destined for kind of cult cult silly classic status yeah, sure. and at the same time, I think it's it's also instructive to warn against the idea that this is sort of gleeful, stupid fun because some of it is just yeah, just fair. some of it is just plain thuddingly bad. Yeah. boring. Yeah, that's and bad. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a campy masterpiece. Don't 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 take it the wrong way. It is a very bad film. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, there's 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 some stuff in there. There's some stuff <laughs> that you might enjoy. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, if you like, you know, like. Um, People like Jumanji. It's not a million miles away from Jumanji in a way. You know, people thrust onto an island running around, their mid-drifts are out. Uh, yeah, this fancy island man, uh, have at it. I mean, you've got this, you've got The Invisible Man, and you've got The Hunt, which I think are all going to be screening cinematically at the same time, yeah, and all are yeah. Bloomhouse productions. Yeah. It's, it's a What a time to be alive. <laughs> um, that, that second review then, uh, whatever... We, we, uh, it's one of our best, call... I think. I think it's one of yeah, our finest pieces I, of work. <laughs> I had a good time. By the way, I've got to ask here, Paul, if you're on Fantasy Island, what is your greatest fantasy? I mean, what what is it? What what would you ask Sir Pena to grant you in um, that situation? I would ask Sir Pena to grant me uh, a trip to the set of the filming of Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be caught in an eternal loop. <laughs> 
yes, so that one coming to a streaming platform near you probably very soon. Uh, that's Fantasy <laughs> Island. Uh, before we finish the show for this week, Paul, we always have a section that we call credits where we can give credit to anything that we liked over the sort of last week or so. doesn't have to be movies. Is there anything in particular that you want to give credit to this week? Uh, I'm going to do a bit of shameless, kind of shameless self-promotion here, uh, in fairness. So I've there's a website uh, blog uh, called Clapper Limited, uh, clapperlimited.co.uk, uh, which I was very, very fond of. Um, and I've read a number of their reviews in the past and followed the guy that runs it on Letterboxd. Uh, and I am now writing for them. So I'm going to give all sorts of credit to Clapper Limited uh, for putting out my review. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, and if you haven't read it yet, uh, a number of my reviews will be going live there, which is actually quite exciting uh, for me because I'm getting a number of screeners sent through. I've just watched South by Southwest film that I can't talk about yet because it's embargoed. Um, so it's very exciting for me, to be fair, to, to get access to screeners uh, and to be able to watch a number of films in advance. So, um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to writing for them. So that is Clapper Limited. Uh, check them out. Um, I'll probably talk about them again because they're featuring my work so thanks guys <laughs> nice uh, I mean yeah like you said utterly shameless but also nice <laughs> um, my recommendation is just going to be a photograph that I posted of my own face um, on social media no it's not that uh, I feel like I'm <laughs> doing I'm doing the same kind of um, recommendations with credits every week at the moment but I'm just going to carry on so this one is another YouTube channel I feel like I've spent a lot of time on YouTube recently <laughs> but I think you'd be into this one Paul if you don't know of it already this is a channel called Corridor Crew have you heard of it is this the VFX guys yeah yes yeah it's I've, seen really... their, I've seen their gory take on Avengers where they kind of is it I oh know Captain America Winter Soldier I think they reshoot some of the scenes with with gory special with realistic special effects so. nice yeah it's, it's an immensely popular channel it's currently got about three and a half million subscribers which gives you some idea but what they do really well is it's like sit down chats on a sofa but then they'll be with v uh, VFX uh, wizards and experts in the field who'll be able to talk them through in some cases their own work in like films that you will very much know and in other cases they'll look at other bits of VFX work and sort of analyse what going on and for anyone who's a film fan and is interested in the behind the scenes of these kinds of things I found it fascinating and I only found it on recommendations this is kind of a co-recommendation I guess from uh, Danny O'Dwyer Danny O'Dwyer for people who don't know runs a YouTube channel called No Clip that do uh, feature length documentaries about video games and behind the scenes with video game uh, production houses and development teams those are fantastic. This is fantastic. I recommend both of them wholeheartedly. So this one's Corridor Crew. That one's No Clip. Check them out. I've seen No Clip, but yeah, Corridor Crew, a co-sign, co as you would say, on Corridor Crew. It's great. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, get involved. And that brings us to the end of the show, only to say that if you want to get in contact with us, uh, do that. You can do it via at Strangers Cinema, which is our Twitter handle, or you can hit the Facebook or the Instagram. You'll find Strangers in a Cinema in both of those places. We've got an email address if you you want to give us a longer question or you want to uh, correct us on something from the show or maybe just uh, want a shout out on the show perhaps that's strangers in a cinema at gmail.com anything more paul uh, no, that's it from me. We'll be back next week, um, well, depending on how we're doing health wise, with uh, feature reviews of uh, Bloodshot and The Hunt. So join us then. But for me, goodbye. Goodbye. Let me be your-